Do you love learning Torah and doing mitzvahs? Or do you feel that it's a burden and a yoke around your neck? Welcome to the Transformative Duff. My name is Rabbi Daniel Friedman. Today we are on page 11 of Tractate Subas. And we learn that it takes effort to develop a taste for the finer pleasures in life, like Shakespeare, Mozart, or Picasso. If that's the case for worldly pleasures, then certainly it's true of the ultimate pleasure of all, Torah and mitzvahs, the finest pleasure imaginable. To sponsor a Transformative Duff message, please email me, transformativeduff at gmail.com. Welcome to the Transformative Duff, and thank you for being my chavrissa today. I like to begin with a story. Reverend Matisyal Solomon tells the story of a young Israeli man who had tried every pleasure imaginable. One day he hears about the party of a lifetime taking place down south featuring all manner of depravity, and he quickly sets out to join the event. He arrives in town and is about to enter the infamous premises when he notices a fellow wearing a keeper walking quickly past the dance hall doing his very best to keep his eyes glued to the ground so that he doesn't cast his eyes upon any improper sight. The young man's amazed. Here he believes that he's encountering the highest form of pleasure on the planet, and for some reason this other fellow has chosen to run past the scene as quickly as possible. Where's he going? He chases after the keeper-clad gentleman and engages him in conversation. They strike up a friendship which eventually leads them to learning Torah together on a weekly basis. One thing leads to another, and today the young man is an esteemed Rosh Yeshiva in Israel. Let's look at today's Gemara. Rav said, to convert a minor, one immerses him with the consent of the Basin. What is he coming to teach us? That it is a privilege for the minor to convert, and one may act in a person's interest even in his absence? We already learned that one may act in a person's interest in his absence, but one may not act against the person's interest in his absence. Rav Huna's teaching was necessary, lest you say, with regard to a Gentile, licentiousness is favorable to him, just as we maintain that with regard to a Gentile servant, licentiousness is favored. Therefore, Rav Huna teaches, that applies only with regard to an adult who has tasted the forbidden fruits. However, with regard to a minor who did not yet engage in such activities, it is a privilege for him. Let's analyze today's Kamara. The path of a man or woman seeking to convert to Judaism isn't easy. The applicant must prove to the Basin that there's no doubt about his sincerity and dedication, and he needs to demonstrate an acceptable level of knowledge of halacha. When a child converts, though, the process is far less demanding. A couple who adopts a baby who isn't Jewish must show the Basin that they're committed to bringing up the child in a Torah-observant home. But the child doesn't have to pass a test or personally answer any questions about his sincerity. Rav Huna explains why. Essentially, the Beistin is doing this child a favor. It's a privilege to be Jewish, and we're allowed to bestow privilege upon a person even without his presence and acquiescence. This baby may be physically present, but he lacks the presence of mind to be able to make the decision of accepting the yoke of Torah upon himself. And that's precisely why we can't convert an adult without his acquiescence. Having tasted the forbidden fruits of this world, we assume that the individual would view Taramitsis as little more than a yoke around his neck and not a privilege at all. Sadly, many people who were born Jews had the same feeling toward their Judaism. Instead of seeing mitzvahs as a privilege, it feels to them like a liability, which they didn't sign up for. They're simply born into it and now forced to live a Torah life not of their choosing. Even as they perform mitzvahs, they do so begrudgingly, lacking any ability to muster up the drive and enthusiasm that makes it all so special. 
Why should they be burdened at all when they could live a life of freedom? Actually, it's not the first time the question's been posed. Moshe Rabbein was dealing with the same issue in the wilderness. The Torah says that the Israelites were crying to their families about the food they were missing from Egypt. Our sages explained that they were really crying about their families. All of a sudden, they were bound by a moral code that sanctified family life, the likes of which they didn't have in Egypt. What was the point of being freed from slavery in Egypt if Hashem was just going to make us His servants? The answer lies in understanding what true freedom entails. Nobody in this world is free to do whatever he feels like. For starters, anything you feel free to do may not encroach upon my freedom. So for example, you're not free to pick oranges from my tree without asking permission from me. Well, that's pretty obvious. But let's take the subject of freedom up a notch. Freedom means the ability to choose. In theory, the more opportunities and options one has to choose from, the freer a person is. In practice, however, that's not the case. Whenever you exercise your freedom to act a certain way, you're denying yourself the freedom to act in an alternative manner. If you've reached a fork in the road, you're free to choose which path to take, but once you've chosen to go left, you've lost the freedom to go right. If you decide to go to medical school and become a doctor, you've chosen not to become a teacher or a firefighter. Let's talk about the extraordinary life-changing event that took place at Mount Sinai. As slaves in Egypt, most of our day-to-day choices were made for us. We were told where to be and when to be. That's the life of a slave. We were then redeemed from Egypt and granted the gift of freedom to make our own choices in life. But with unlimited opportunities, how do you decide which path to take? The hedonistic answer would be to make the choice that maximizes your worldly pleasure. And indeed, for most of the planet's inhabitants, that's what life is all about, having the most fun. But the problem with that approach is that you still need to figure out which pastimes would bring a person the most pleasure, because engaging in one activity means negating another activity. Think about the pleasures of life enjoyed by toddlers. They like to play with dolls and toy cars. Now imagine you offered them the ability to dispense with their child nourish kite and enjoy some real pleasure. First, you take them out for a round of golf. Then you take them to a football game. Afterwards, you go to an art gallery. Finally, you end the day with a visit to the opera. Wouldn't they be impressed? After all those months playing around with silly toys, you've now demonstrated the true pleasures of the finer life. Of course not. They'd be bored out of their minds. Those activities might be pleasurable to you, but a child would fail to appreciate the finer delights of this world. But there is one approach that you could take that would change the narrative entirely. Imagine you took that same child and started teaching him to play golf as soon as he could walk. Monday nights, you cheered for your favorite football team with the little one by your side. Before going to bed, you flipped through art magazines with him. And as you turned out the lights, you put on some beautiful opera as background music to lull him to sleep. And so by the time he becomes a teenager, instead of playing video games, he's learned to appreciate the finer pleasures of life. The truth is, even most adults don't appreciate fine art or good music. They find it boring. They'd rather watch a movie than visit an art gallery. They would sooner switch on pop music than classical. Because the finer a pleasure is in this world, the more a person must refine his taste to appreciate it. Some pleasures come naturally with age and maturity. Others require effort to develop a taste and appreciation. The key thing to bear in mind is that every art gallery visited is one less video game played. You simply can't have it all. Every decision to enjoy one pleasure is a decision to negate another. 
And so most people spend a lifetime trying a little bit of everything, slowly but surely doing their best to figure out what the highest form of pleasure in this world might be. But what if I could offer you the highest form of pleasure in this world without all the hassle of trial and error? That highest pleasure, my friends, is Torah. A life of Torah mitzvahs is not only spiritually rewarding, it's intensely pleasurable even on earth. The problem is that most people aren't prepared to make the effort to develop a taste for Torah. That's what the Gemara means when it says that it wouldn't be a privilege or benefit for an adult to be converted against his will. Having tasted the cheap thrills of the pleasures of this world, most people would be happy to live an effortless life. But if you've ever decided to learn a new instrument or language, develop an appreciation for fine art or classical music, or put your mind to understanding Shakespeare, then you'll understand that the finer the pleasure, the greater the effort that's required to acquire taste for it. And it goes without saying that Beethoven's greatest sonata doesn't come anywhere near the pleasure of Torah mitzvahs. If you're mature enough to recognize what the development of an appreciation for the finer things in life can achieve, you're on track to finding the greatest pleasure ever imaginable, the taste of Torah. May you merit the maturity to free yourself of the bonds of temporal pleasure and to experience the ultimate pleasure and freedom that this world has to offer, wishing you a transformative day. Thank you for tuning into the Transformative Duff Podcast with Rabbi Daniel Friedman. Whether you've been doing Daf Yomi for years or you're not quite ready to commit but want to be part of the Daf Yomi global movement, there's something in the transformative Daf for everyone. It's about joining the conversation. It's about talking over the Daf with your family, your friends, your colleagues. It means never being short of a discussion starter or a meaningful Dvar Torah. Every page of the Gemara, every word, every letter contains the secrets of the universe. To achieving a life of simcha and purpose, transform your life today. The Transformative Daf is published by Mosaica Press and available at all good Jewish bookstores and online from mosaicapress.com. Thank you, The Transformative Daf.